20 minutes on Christmas Day and say, Lord, during these 20 minutes, I'm just going to spend time with you. Oh, it's a really, really busy day. We've got relatives and parties and gift opening. What about just taking 20 minutes and saying, it's a bit of a sacrifice because this day is busy. But I want to give it to my Lord. What would it look like to put a little blood on it? You know, like maybe during Christmas Day, you're watching football. Imagine that. And there's someone really busy working in the kitchen. Maybe you would actually shut off the screen and go and help the person that's in the kitchen. Put a little bit of blood on it, if you will. Now, uh, the story brings us to King Herod, inevitably. And here's where we sort of take a break from our regular programming because King Herod comes into the story and the wise men are teaching us what to do and King Herod is teaching us like what not to do. He kind of offers an anti-gift, if you will. The wise men travel for 900 miles. They don't know exactly where to go. They stop and they ask for directions. You have a sitting king who's King Herod. Now, it would make sense that you go to the sitting king. He's not the legitimate king. He's not in the line of David, but he's a sitting king. So the wise men would do what makes sense because they don't call him wise for nothing. They go to the sitting king and they expect this king to have a newborn son. And so they show up in Jerusalem and they say, where is a newborn king? Where's your baby? Now, the text says that King Herod was troubled. And it says that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Now, you imagine King Herod is like, I haven't had a newborn son for a really long time. Like, my sons are all grown up. So you're coming here looking for a baby. I don't got no baby. You're not coming here to pay homage to me. Suddenly, this king is feeling very threatened. And all of Jerusalem was feeling the same thing because if this king goes down, then all of them go down. There will be terrible instability. And by the way, this king is not known for his mental stability. Later on in life, he he goes paranoid. He starts killing some of his loved ones. He gets really violent. But we're in the middle of this extraordinary journey of the wise men, and we take a pause to consider King Herod. King Herod has a message for some of us who are here today. You see, when Jesus comes into a person's life, It means that you can no longer be king. It means that we have to get off the throne of our lives to make room for a true king. And Herod did not want to do that. Herod, here and now, is making a decision. It's going to set a certain course for the rest of his life. And there are some of us here now who are making that same decision. Will you give this king the gift of the throne of your life? Or will you use all your resources to put this new king down? Will you give him a gift of yourself? Or will you give him an anti-gift? And I'm just wondering if some people today for the very first time would say, I'm going to offer this newborn king the gift of the throne of my life. And you get off that throne and you say, Jesus, I welcome you to sit on this throne. Maybe some of you will actually do that today for the first time. Now, King Herod is no dummy. He realizes that the newborn king, the one that the wise men are talking about, is not coming from him, but they're referring to the Christ. 
This revolutionary leader that the prophets predicted would come. So he kind of Googles the information that he needs from his experts. He assembles an ad hoc meeting with chief priests and scribes. And the question to to, uh, debate is, where is this child going to be born? And they agree that it's going to be in Bethlehem. And so he concocts the sinister plan. And he sends wise men. Go, the child is in Bethlehem, and then come back and tell me so I can worship him. But really what he's going trying to do is eliminate the child from the face of this, this earth. Now, here is where the story gets even more interesting. Bethlehem is like five to six miles away from Jerusalem. There's about a thousand people there. They don't need directions to Bethlehem. You imagine King Herod just going, you know, it's, it's over there. Just, just keep it going straight and you can't miss it. But what they need a little bit of help on, more than a little bit of, is knowing which child. Because there's probably a thousand people in Bethlehem. You cross-reference with uh, um, people with the, in the line of David, and you're probably going to get several newborn babies. Now, how do you determine which one? An amazing thing happens. A crazy thing starts to happen. The this, this star somehow starts to go all GPS on them. And it starts, it starts to move, and then it rises, and then it rests. And a star is pointing to which house the child is going to be in. I don't know how to explain naturally how that happened. But maybe it was an angel. It just That's what happened. It was very supernatural. Now, I want you to imagine, this is a very strange scene. Ordinary house, ordinary mom, ordinary dad. These wise men come to pay homage, not to the mom, not to the dad, but they're bowing low to this baby. Or this little boy. And they open up their treasuries, the text says, and they give gifts that are fit for a king. First thing they brought was gold. Gold communicates back then what it communicates now. It's timeless as a metal of great, great value. Frankincense is an expensive perfume. The, Jewish, uh, the Jews would have used it uh, ceremonially. Myrrh was another expensive perfume. They would have used that for their garments. The idea is they brought gifts that were fit for a king. And in any culture, in any generation, they would have looked at the gifts, especially gold, and said, this is valuable. The third lesson the wise men have for us, when giving a gift, give a gift with transferable value. Give a gift with transferable value. The wise men give gifts that are fit for a king. These are the most expensive things that their country and the wise men have to offer. And it would have been recognized as something of great value. And I'll never forget this lesson. I was about to go on a missions trip. And we were going to go to Mexico. And we were... uh, packing up for the trip and, and uh, buying presents to give to our host families. And our missions leader gave this advice. He said, don't give these families and the children your hand-me-downs. Don't give them the stuff that you don't want. Like when you go to their villages, they are going to kill their only goat to feed you meat. So when you pack up, you bring your best You give them what is valuable in your eyes. And if it's valuable in your eyes, it's probably going to be valuable in their eyes too. So this Christmas, consider the gift of transferable value. So a quick review. We've talked about the gift of presents. 
We've talked about the gift of sacrifice. We've talked about the gift of transferable value. There, there is one more word that I, I, I want us to focus on. And it's a word that I think if we really think about it, it's going to spark a whole new conversation. If you look in the text, Matthew, who is the author, inspired by the Spirit, uses this word. And if you really think about this word, it kind of changes things. The one word that Matthew uses here is worship. Let me hear you guys say worship. Now, the text says that the magi, the wise men, worshipped this newborn king. Now, during ancient times, when wise men might come from hundreds of miles away, they would bow down. They would like, I mean, literally, the baby would be here, and they would prostrate themselves down. They would, they would bow down to the baby. They would, it, was, it was a way of paying respect. Right? So when Matthew uses the word worship, he's not abusing the word. That, that would be the right word to use. But he's writing primarily to Christian readers. And when Christians hear the word worship, it means something a little bit different to them. So Matthew is using this word and he wants you to wonder, do these wise men know who this baby is? And you, you kind of you bring some wondering into the text. Like, at what point did they realize that this baby was going to be no ordinary king? I mean, was it when they first saw the star? Is that when they knew? Or, or certainly they knew something was up when, when Herod starts talking about, where's the Christ? Oh, the, you know, the, 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 the person they were, they were predicting would come in the Hebrew Scriptures. Or, or did, they, did they realize that this was no ordinary child when the, the, the star started doing the supernatural GPS dance? At what moment did they realize something much bigger is going on here? Maybe they never knew it in their lifetimes. Maybe they only knew it post-mortem. That the face of the baby they were seeing was the face of God. It's like the the wise men thought, we're so good, we're traveling 900 miles to offer a gift. And then we realized God was traveling from heaven to earth to give his gift. I mean, at what point did they realize that their small story was stumbling upon a much bigger story? The story of God giving His very best to all of humankind, to those who would receive him. It's kind of like right right now. I wonder if people here this morning, you're like, oh, good. Pastor Andrew is giving a message about how to give a gift to another person. And I wonder at what point you're like, hold it, hold hold it. No, I, I think Pastor Andrew is actually talking about something else. You know something? I'm actually talking about something else. Every person here in this room who loves and believes in Jesus, you've been outgifted. Now, can you turn to someone next to you and say, You've been outgifted? Go ahead. We've all been outgifted. Now, it's like, Am I giving a practical message? Yes, I am giving a practical message. This. This Christmas, give your presence, give your sacrifice, give your transferable value in the gifts that you offer. But as you give your presence, realize that God was the one who gave us his full presence when he clothed himself in flesh 
when Jesus Christ came down. It's like Jesus was saying, I'm here. I'm here. God is here. I'm here to walk with you. I'm here to laugh with you. I'm here to suffer with you. I'm here totally available to you in every way. It's like God saying, this was too important for me to just send one of my angels. God came down himself. And we're talking about the gift of sacrifice. And we we said like a gift means more when it comes with a little bit of your blood on it, right? God gave us the gift of the cross and it came with a whole lot of blood on it. This baby would grow into a man and this man would say, greater love has none than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus at the prime of his life was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was tortured to death on a cross. And they spilt a lot of his blood. They flogged him and they nailed him. And then he was crucified and he was suffocated to death on a cross. The wise men walked 900 miles to give a gift of sacrifice. But here God was giving up his very own life. He was giving up the life of his son to pay a ransom for our lives. To pay for the penalty of sin so that we could be forgiven and united with God for eternity. I I know that during this season... There's many of us who feel spread thin. We feel like, you know, I have been giving everything I can to people around me at work and at home, my parents who are aging, my school needs, and, and uh, my church. And some of us, we feel like, you know, I, I feel like I have no, nothing more to give. I feel like I'm spent. Some of us feel like, you know, I just, I just feel like I'm just gutting through life, you know? But a lot of this thought is about us and what we're giving and what we're giving. And the word for us this morning is that as much as you've given, you will never be able to give more than God gave us through the birth and the sacrifice of his son. You will never be able to give more than he will give to you now in this present moment and for all of eternity for those who love and obey him. Now, I want you to think about this. At this present moment stands God who wants to lavish you with gifts, who won't stop at nothing to give you what you need to thrive, even the gift of suffering. And he has already given us the greatest gift in the life of his son. That means he will stop at nothing to give you what you need to thrive. What an amazing God and what an amazing promise. There is a a story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus asks a rich man to sell everything that he has and give to the poor. And the, the rich man refuses. He basically says no, and he walks away. Now, the disciples, if you recall the story, they see what is happening. And they say to Jesus, basically, you know what this man wasn't able to do? That's what we did. That's what we did. We did it. Now, do you remember how Jesus responded? The the way that Jesus did not respond is he didn't say, oh, you poor, miserable Peter. You know, he didn't say stuff like that. Oh, you poor man. What What did Jesus say? 
He said, truly, I say to you, no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel will not receive a hundredfold now in this time with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Have you, have you thought about what Jesus just said? I mean, do you realize here on Christmas Day what Jesus is saying to us about the way that we live our lives, about the way that we see Christmas, about the whole way we approach life? I mean, Jesus is saying you cannot possibly outgive what God wants to give to you. For those of you who have left things behind out of obedience, you are getting so much more in return. Not just spiritual things, but physical things, relational things, brother and sister, things of transferable value like shelter and food, good company and loved ones. And not just in this life, but for all of eternity. And not just nice things, but even suffering that makes us complete and full and people of good character. So this Christmas... As we're here to worship God, have you considered what God has given us? And for those of you who are working so hard, you cannot possibly outgive God. You cannot possibly give more than God wants to give you. We can't outgive God what he's already given us through the birth and sacrifice of his son. We cannot possibly outgive and what he wants to give us now and for the rest of eternity. Even the gift of suffering. Everything is a gift from God who simply wants to give us everything. And it will take eternity for God. It will take eternity for God to give us all that he wants to give us. We stand in a universe of a God that says, you have no idea my heart for you. You just simply have no idea. Would you all please stand? Lord, this Christmas, it is a really busy season and we're giving and we're giving and we're giving. And this morning, you want to refresh us with the word that our God is a giving God. And as much as we've given, we always live in the shadow of a God who's giving us more and more, everything that we need, even suffering. But he wants to give us the very best. And he did not hold back when he gave us Jesus. And he continues to not hold back now. Lord, I know that these things are kind of abstract. We don't live every day with a full view of your heart and who you are and your generosity towards us. And I'm praying that even here today on Christmas Sunday, you would give us greater clarity, a greater glimpse into your heart. And we would see that and we would rejoice and be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll just stay standing and just want to sing a song in response to um, this gift we have.